What is up, everyone? Here we go. Can I just start by saying, like, my life is cool. I love what I get to do. Um, today is exceptionally cool for me because I actually get to interview someone who I love, uh, a brother of mine. I call him Doc. His name is Kelly Capehart. And this guy, you know, I, I tried to list out what he is for you. And really, it would take me less time to list out what he's not. A uh, few highlights, though. I mean, this guy is a former special forces operator. He was a green beret. He was a medic. So that's like, you know, their packs are heavier than everybody else's. So that kind of sucks. Um, he, he's a trauma specialist. He's an innovator. He's an inventor. He races dirt bikes. I mean, and honestly, like one of the most genuinely loyal, good human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And I get the privilege to actually speak to him today and let him just share kind of some of his story and some of his leadership influences and what's turned him into the leader and uh, just kick-ass rock star that he is today. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And this is my very special guest, Kelly Capehart. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Go and drive left. All right, here we go. I am with, you know, I'm just going to be totally candid. I'm with a good friend of mine, and his name is Kelly Capehart. How you doing, sir? Vertical and yourself? Uh, you know, I'm actually seated, so but it's a good start. Um, and <laughs> and for the listeners, before we even get started, like if I call you Doc, they just have to understand that's what I've been calling you like for the better part of hell over a decade, right? Absolutely. Okay, so. Doc is a, is a good friend of mine. I love him like a brother, and I could go on and on about what an incredible human he is, and we're going to get into it, but first, I'm going to let him do his intro and tell you all who he is, so hit it, Doc. Uh, Kelly Capehart uh, did a little bit of stint in the military. I was a soft guy for a little while, 18D, uh, which IE means I carried a heavier pack than the other guys and never got to kick any doors in, so pretty freaking boring, really. Um, uh, ever since I left the military, I went on to be a PA, found out that uh, my empathy was not as grandiose as it should possibly be. So I moved on from being a PA into the integral part of uh, sales, really. Um, but for me, more of a, um, how do you say, uh, not really a salesman as much as I, I'm the plan B guy. I, I, I'm the one that stands there. And when the doctor looks at me and has that look of, oh shit, what do I do? Um, I, I step forward and, and kind of help him in that program from there on forward. Um, and then uh, through doing this and, and seeing how the systems are and having the background that I have, I started seeing some uh, medical devices that could be improved upon and actually utilized in the field. And with the good help of someone you've spoke to before um, on this show, I was able to sit down and start developing an external fixator system to be used in the austere environment that's lighter weight, faster, easier, more durable uh, than anything that's ever been brought to the market before. Um, and through this, I think that we're going to see a lower loss of limb count uh, coming out of the field than we're currently seeing. I mean, we're dealing with a whole new type of warfare now than I dealt with back in the 90s. Uh, you're seeing a lot more loss of limb. You're seeing a lot more guys, <clears throat> you know, 
limping up to their um, wives versus uh, walking straight up and vertical. And that was something that was true and dear to my heart. So we're trying to truly make something and develop something that's not just another cool guy gear thing to have, not just something that's easier, but something that's actually applicable in the new warfare that we're seeing out there. You know, what's fabulous. Like we're going to dig into all of that. Like for, for those of you who are not privy to it, we had a brief conversation right before we hit record. And I remember saying, Hey doc, don't be too humble. And you just gloss right over soft. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I was a green beret, man, big deal. Like <laughs> for some people listening, just to, for clarity's sake, brother, for some people listening, that's like the pinnacle of achievement. And you're just like, well, it was a Tuesday. I thought I'd grab my green beret real quick. No big deal. Well, I, I think that you're going to find that um, um, most of the guys that have kind of uh, Ranger, SF, Navy SEAL, any of the um, soft type environments, the guys that have been there, we've done it. We've all got our photo memory. We've all got our, you know, um, what we had. I mean, you still have a lot of guys that hold on, the badge beaters, the guys that, you know, want to vet you and see who you are and 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 what have you not. But to me, it's like, what does it really matter? Let me check. You know, I'm trying I to mean, see if you've got a tiny little class A long tab hidden somewhere in your lapel. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, um, failed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and to me, it's kind of like, you know, been there, done that. I, I came from an era where we didn't take a lot of pictures, you know, um, nowadays it's, it's, uh, you know, you can't take two steps without a selfie. And, well, that, you know, that's um, an interesting, interesting thing to point out is just how SOCOM has changed so drastically, even in the last oh, Lord five years where you know like during our our heyday years a little prior to mine but we had some overlap there as well like Mm -hmm. you there were no pictures you took zero pictures you didn't want anyone to know where you were at what you were doing what you looked like none of that stuff right and now if you've got a trident you've got a book you know like every every seal team bub is writing something oh true very true um and so what's interesting though is like is as you hear that that brief snapshot of your entire story um and i don't know that you could sum up as awesome as you are in any shorter amount of time than you did it. There's a common thread that I want to point out starting out because it really is going to, it's going to be a reoccurring thing. And that's that you're the sort of person, man, in every, because you and I have known each other in some very asymmetrical situations. We can leave it at that. Um, But you're the sort of guy who it, it didn't matter the circumstances. Like if it made sense, you'd much rather do the hard thing than the easy thing a hundred percent of the time what do you think it is you know because i know i know where you started before the military and i i know all about your career like what is it in you that makes you go yeah i could do that easy thing over there and be just fine but i'd much rather challenge myself and go outside of the comfort zone to make bigger things happen well i think when i grew up um you didn't have an option for an easier route you know um i grew up unbelievably poor um just a quick little funny story. And, and I had this conversation with someone the other day. They're like, uh, you know, because of course you're, you know, a white male and you're successful. There's no way you came from a poor background. And I'm like, look, <laughs> um, my, my father, stepfather used to put up quilts on my door to keep the cold that used to come in from the outside from right. going to the rest of the house when I slept at night. Um, you know, as a kid, I, I know this kind of is kind of a weird thing, but as a kid, you know, when you hear a mousetrap go off as a young boy, you're like, gotcha, you know, right. but then when you hear that mousetrap being dragged away 15 minutes later by something a little bit bigger, you realize you're in kind of a harsh environment. 
And uh, I, I look back on that now and I think about how kids are raised where everything you do is a trophy. You know, you look up in the air, you point and say, airplane, here's a trophy. Right. Um, <laughs> back then there were no trophies. And to, to survive, you had to succeed. And I think I've just carried that on with me. And, I, and I've tried to not look at situations I've been put in that were rough or bad or, or, or demeaning for that matter as um, a holdback, but more as a motivator. Yeah. And, you know, we have a little bit of shared life experience there, as you already know, because we've known each other for a long time. But like there is a certain mechanism in the brain, I think, that switches when, you know, you grow up in that environment. Like there were literal three foot holes in my bedroom walls, you know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and you get into the military where we started out and they're like, oh, we're going to sleep in the dirt. We're like, hell yeah, upgrade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all are feeding Wait, me. Too? To- this is awesome. Yeah, we get to dig into the dirt and stay out of the wind. What? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. incredible. You know, even like in ranger school, I mean, I, I think that we took things so differently. Like I was the I was the second to last and the last desert face. That's a long story. We won't get into that. But and, and also dates you drastically. But also go ahead. dates me. <laughs> yes, but I remember being in a twelve man spoon, right? But none of us complained we all made our comments and then somebody starts talking about mom's cooking. Right. And then somebody starts talking about, so we took this situation where it's okay. I'm going to stay warm. This is embarrassing for me, but instead of complaining and, and going to the cadre and, you know, the RI and saying, Hey, you know, I need another banky. Uh, we just hugged a little tighter and talked a little bit more about baseball. Right. And you know? do you, so do you think um, just cause it, what we're really talking about is like a strong sense of pragmatic acceptance. And that's a a fun phrase that gets thrown around in environments that we've been in quite a bit. Um, (laughs) We always say it is what it is or embrace the suck. But do you think like clearly that's something that we weren't born with? Do you think it can be learned outside of really pushing yourself? Absolutely. I I think that, um, and that's true with me. I think that um, if anybody can cut a spin on any, any situation. Um, you can either accept failure, drop your head and walk away, or you can stop, analyze that failure and say, why did I fail? How did I fail? And how can I stop from doing that again? And I think, you know, that's where great leaders come from versus good leaders or okay leaders is that, you know, I knew as a leader and even today that I can't, I can't lead everybody. Right. You know, I I can't because based on, how I grew up versus how most of the kids that I now lead grew up. Um, a lot of them are not thick skinned enough to be direct with, which is sad. Right. Um, and a lot of them just are not going to take instruction period. doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter how hard I try, but if, if I lose that one soldier, if you will, um, I'm not going to give up on the rest of them. Sure. You know, and, and I think that that's, that's something that we all have to do as individuals is, is, is kind of, stop and, and, and take that moment of the fight or flight. And uh, I, I chose to fight. And, you know, you, you brought up leadership and that's something I want to get into as well. Like, um, you know, talking about the younger generation and whatnot, but it's there, there's a lot of onus, just like you're saying, when it comes to, you're not going to give up because the one, you know, you're going to do your best to, to achieve those goals with them. But, you know, I think there's a lot of onus on the leader to continue pushing forward and, you know, do, do you think, because I know that being a type of person that you are that has strong leadership abilities, that has 
that innate pragmatic acceptance that has that like willingness to push forward through adversity, does it make you a little more, cause you, I know that there's been some crummy ones in your past. Do you think that makes you a little more hypercritical towards your leadership or does it, does it make it easier to identify crappy ones? Both, I think. Um, I think I can pretty much right off the bat identify a crappy leader. Right. Um, um, Usually by looking at their team. A hundred percent by looking at their team. And, you know, and, and I have to fight that urge too. If I get somebody from that team, like right now in the business I have, if I hire an employee and I bring them on board and they've come from another environment that was that was just sales, it had nothing to do with innovation, had nothing to do with you know, changing the spectrum of your field you're currently in and the environment you're in. It was just about how much money am I going to make for this? Right. You know, I want to look at him and just say, you poor kid, you know, but, I, but I can't, I have to, I have to hold that back and, and basically start that building block say, well, okay, that's maybe, maybe that's the direction you were taught there, but here, this is the direction we want to go. The way we always dealt with that, when you get that dude who, you know, had, it clearly had the worst leader on the planet and they well, back in wherever we did it this way, you would go, Right. That's, that's a method, uh, right. but not the preferred <laughs> method. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I think that's a, an absolute sign of um, lack of um, what's the word I'm looking for. Lack of confidence in who you are is when somebody constantly talks about how we did it back there. Yeah. Um, because they're not all willing the, to all the soldiers forward. at Fort Bragg. Is that who you're referencing? Right oh, now? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Back in Bragg. Back in Bragg. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fort Hood too. I, I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've heard that. Well, but you know, I think I want to talk on that because that you know that's a, a pressure point for me. That right. this this is how we've always done it is probably the biggest cop out to avoid innovation on the planet. Right. And if you are a leader that has kind of created this environment of, well, this is how we've always done it and it's safe and it's familiar, you're stifling the creativity of your team 100 percent 100 percent Right. A hundred percent. I think that, um, I, I think you should acknowledge that past with that person. Yeah. You know what? Good on you. Did it work? How right. well did it work? And then you kind of turn it back on them to, to force them to step into a leadership role, even if they're not in one by saying, so how did that work for you? Tell me, tell me what you accomplished by doing it that way. And then at that point you can kind of roll it into, well, okay, here's the way we did it. And this is why. Right. And, and most of the time you can turn somebody with that, but not always. You know, it kind of, to use our, our lingo, it kind of goes back to, or makes me think of like SOPs versus TTPs. Right. And so the SOP is the book answer for how you do a thing. So if we're talking about, you know, battle drill four, react to near far ambush, there's a book answer for that. Right. That book answer is based off of optimal conditions in an open field with some access to tree line. Right. Right. You don't right. see a lot of that in downtown Baghdad. So you've got to right. take the SOP and adapt your TTP the way you're going to do it in theater that makes sense. Right. And in that, oh, this is the way we've always done it environment. It's very difficult to get to the TTP part of things. Right. Right. And, and I think that um, whenever you're, uh, just to kind of compare it to the world I'm in now, uh, with development and sales is that um, I, I had a doctor say about me one time, nicest thing anybody's ever said was what I like about him is Kelly doesn't come in here and try to sell a product. He tries to peddle knowledge. Right. And, um, and, and I think that as a leader, that's the best thing somebody can say to me. I'm not trying to peddle. This is what we can get for doing this. Right. But instead, this is why we do this. 
And this is the long-term reason. And this is the, this is why it's going to benefit the people that come up behind you and the people that come up behind them. It's, it's not about you here and now it's about the future. Every leadership division decision you make is pushing the future farther forward, better. Well, and that's, um, you know, really the art of turning your experience into your expertise right. in a lot of ways. And I don't think that that is achievable. I don't think you can ever be in a position to be the type of leader who can talk from, you know, a position of, I know, cause I've done, if you don't right. push yourself through the doing. And I think that takes us back to a point you made earlier about the participation awards. Right. And I, I know that that's, you know, a broad scope sticky point for you as it is for me. I think anyone who, you know, lived through the eighties or nineties or before, like, what is this participation award nonsense? Right. But I know it was something that gave you heartburn during your service too, like positions just being handed out. A hundred percent. Like how, how toxic is that to, you know, like, because we could talk all day about corporate world and everything else, but like how toxic is that? Cause what we did was go get bad guys and go pew pew. So right. how bad is that for that team? Well, as a, as a medical person, you know, we had that special little orange pill, right? That uh, got handed out. We called it Ranger candy. Right. <laughs> and, um, oh, you're, oh, you're, you don't feel good here. Take this. Oh, your ankle hurts here. Take this. It was always the same thing over and over and over. Right. I, I kind of feel like the, the ARCOM is the same way. Uh, the Army Accommodation Medal is basically, it's, it's, it's another form of Ranger pill. Oh, good job. Here's a little green, you know, piece and of that, brass that comes in a little box that's going to that make you even change you know if you think pre-oif1 before the invasion that like right. attaboy award was an aam right and then once oh, we're all I'm going so. down range it changes to arcom like the, right. i've got one arcom that i care about and it's the one with the valor device on it like i'll hang on to that one that was pretty cool absolutely absolutely um yeah and there are some that's a deserve you know the v is the v is deserved there's no doubt about that um, but I can't tell you how many times people have put in for higher awards and they've given something like that as a consolation prize to the people below them because they don't want those people to see this guy get something without them getting something as well. Well, I mean, let's talk about the, team effort. the epidemic of bronze stars. Oh, God. I mean, you've got guys okay. who, who sit inside of a secure area for 12 months sucking up AC and Gatorade getting bronze stars because they were an officer in the talk. Oh, your ears had to bleed back in the day to get one of those. Right. You know, a bronze star, you both ears better be bleeding. And Not only did they bleed, but off. 10 guys filled out 15, six sworn statements to make sure they could quantify why your ears bled. Right, right. That you didn't just fall down and bump your head. Um, yeah, I, and I think that that's the new environment and that's the new military. And sadly, that's the new leaders that we're, we're generating. But, you know, with that being said, um, on the awards thing, some of the best leaders I've ever come across don't have a single thing on their lapel. They right. don't have anything on their arm except for that patch. Um, I've seen uh, some leaders with, you know, the good old Marn patch, the, you know, the, the what is that called? The broken TV or whatever. Right. And, um, and uh, some of the best leaders I've ever seen. And these guys have nothing. They have no airborne, no air assault, nothing, because they have focused on being a good leader, not being a good schooler. And, um, you know, on the other hand, you get guys that get so tired of the current leadership like myself that I just, I volunteered for every school I possibly could right. just to escape the BS of what I felt wasn't a good environment, you know? Um, and uh, 
I don't know. I mean, it, the environment's changed so much now that it's hard to get a grasp on, you know? And I think when we're using this just as a broad example, though, I mean, I can remember, you know, having to talk to my platoon or squad or team or whatever level of leadership I was at, at the moment and explain to them why, you know, Johnny Fobbit is getting this, you know, big time award for just hanging out and they're getting ARCOMs right. maybe. And right. it really creates like the whole, you know, participation award thing creates a very toxic sense of like being disenfranchised with the individual right and it's the thing that that i see is the huge problem is like it kills talent retention you know you'll have that like straight killer in whatever organization the business world or the military wherever it is that person who's just a killer and they see that and they're like well i'm not going to spin my wheels and waste my time here right right I, you know and, and that comes true that everybody tries to be a part of a grand, more grandiose world, like the beret. You know, I, I always felt like the beret was a, was a an honored badge. Right. <clears throat> the folks that wore a beret wore a beret because they did something outside the norm. If it whether it was just jumping out of airplanes or whatever. Um, now, everybody has one, right. so it's kind of taken away from that specialness. Um, I saw a tab. I, we do a lot of work with seventh group, third group. A lot of these guys. Uh, we just got back from Port Sam Houston. And uh, when I was at Bragg, this, uh, I'm just going to say young lady walks up to me that I'm not sure what special PT program she's on, but it was definitely a special one. Sure. She sure. had a tab and it said advisor. Yes. And I literally, and this is horrible and this is not a good leadership trait, but I literally giggled out loud and she just looked at me. And I said, I said, what is that? Because at the time it was new and I, and, you know, I'm out of the military now. And right. I, um, and I was like, what, what is that? And she goes, I'm part of the advisory group. Right. And they even use the words like group. Right. And I'm like, what do you advise exactly? Like, are you, are you, do you train soft? Do you do, what do you do? Um, well, we're a part of the advisory group. I'm in logistics. And I was like, Okay. All right. Right. Um, I'm going to turn around now and pay for my goods and go out in my car and cry. It, that I, was a strange thing that, that started. And that was as I was making my exit. I think they kicked that off maybe two years before I retired. Right. And, and the tab was enough to make me raise my eyebrows. But once I saw that they were, it's not green, it's a olive beret. Right. Like, what are we doing here, guys? Right. And, and, and okay, let's be, okay, let's use this example and I'll, I'll be as offensive as I want to be because it's my show, damn it. Um, what you see in that advisor group, if we're just being super candid, is a whole conglomerate of people who could never go get a long tab ever on their best day. Right. I mean, I think right. I know one person in that world who could probably pull it off. Outside of that, it's, it's well, I, the new participation medal. Right. And, and again, not being a badge beater, because really I don't get, I don't, I don't care. But at the same time, it's, I think we're paving a path for this youth where the expectation is, you know, before I get out. And that's why it's making it harder and harder. You know, i.e. the suicide rate keeps going up for these right. Joes getting out of the military because they get out and all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean? You're not going to tab me when I go into my new job. I don't right. understand. And I think that we're setting people up for failure. And I think part of a good leader is making people realize, look, you've got to work for this. 
you've got to you've got to deserve this and earn this. There's certain tiers and certain levels that you have to go through before this is achievable. Let's set this as a goal, not as a promise. You know, and you know, like um, to that point, I know when you got out, you were a little disenfranchised as well. Oh Lord, have mercy! It, I was <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. I think when I got out uh, was kind of the, kind of in the time of hate for the military. Right. You know, you had the you had the Clintonization of the military, and so when I got out, going to an interview and saying I was in the military was not a good thing. Right. Um, in, in a lot of places it was, I mean, you know, when I went to school, it was, it was advantageous when I went to a couple of major jobs and dealt with some of the older surgeons, they thought it was great. Um, never told anybody what I did. I didn't feel like I needed to, but, um, when, when you started dealing with the younger generation around you, some of the nurses, some of the young docs coming in, some of the younger PAs, I mean, you would literally be shunned really during that time period. And, um, I, you know, like I think we talked about before too, that you'd start seeing these patients and where I say, I don't have enough empathy. I know that's not a good trait for a leader, but, um, especially one in the medical field might be <laughs> right. But, you know, you'd have some guy coming in with a broken finger. Uh, that's, you know, six foot two, two twenty five, built like a yield sign. And he's wanting six months off and he's trying to tell me the exact dose of whatever that he wants. Right. And in the same breath, he's talking to his girlfriend about going on a vacation that happens to be in three months that if I write him up for when he needs to actually go home, he's going to miss that vacation time. You right. know? And it's like, I can't do this anymore. Just can't do it. Well, and what's crazy is, you know, on your way out of the military, you, you did what probably 75% of whatever, you know, combat medics wind up doing, whether it's long term right. combat medics or just regular line dudes. Like one of my best friends that I served with was my roommate was my senior line medic. You got, and it's not a bad fit. For most, you go right. straight into being a PA and right. it, it lines up career wise. It lines up knowledge set wise. And you got there and you're like, ah, crap, this isn't what I want to do. You know, and, and it's true. It's not what I wanted to do. And I look back and I think I should have I should have been a paramedic for a fire department or something. You know, the only downside to that is I, I really don't like fire that much. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, those guys are heroes to me. I mean, anybody that'll walk into a burning building for somebody they right. don't know, spot on you, bud. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I was thrust into this world of um, of loathing uh, in the medical field. And it was something that didn't last long for me. I just could not take it. And so uh, I, I reached for something else. You know, I've always, I've always set high goals for myself. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know much about my grandfather. He died when I was young, but I, I remember he was the king of the one-liner. Right. And some of the things, one of the things he always said is never die on the sidelines. You know, because if you die as a, as a participant, nobody's ever going to remember who you were. Right. And um, it's true. You know, I mean, now I'm 50 years old and I race dirt bikes for God's sakes. Yeah. Well, that's you know, that's, as that is. One thing um, about guys that come from where we come from is we're we're pretty much stuck at twelve mentally in some absolutely, regards. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, we, we like yeah, to have yeah, fun at twelve to thirteen. Everything right. else we'll do super serious. Right. So um, what was it? Was it like the memory of your grandfather? Was it just the complete sense of like I I really hate what I'm doing? Like what was the mechanism for you to? Because I think it's something that people struggle with to give yourself permission to just 
to move on? Well, I, I think that I had spent my entire life trying to progress, you know, starting with a stepfather that said, I love you with his fists. You know, I had to find ways to, to make him happy. And then once I left that and went to school, I had to progress there. And then once I left that in the military, it's a constant search, you right. know, a constant goal setting, a constant, I got to, I got to accomplish the school. And I think a lot of the schools I went to, I just wanted to make sure that I could pass them. I, I don't know how much sense that makes, but um, same thing when I got out, I just felt like, okay, so I go to PA school. I, I, I become an orthopedic PA. That was easy. Next step. And there's, there was no next step for me. But that's the thing. It seems like all the things leading up to that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the whole way to this, you're you're trying to check off enough blocks to fit what you think is going to make the world happy with Doc. A hundred percent. And what I found out later is that no, nobody gives a shit. Right. In the end, <laughs> in the end, it doesn't matter because what's on my wall in my office, you know. I, Nobody cares. Right. I mean, there are some individuals that want to talk about it. Bruce Saran. Bruce Saran talks more about me than I've ever talked about me. Um, that is a fact. <laughs> and I, I love the guy. Probably one of the most phenomenal orthopedic surgeons. No, not one of. The most phenomenal orthopedic surgeon I've ever been around. The guy's a genius in the OR. Um, you know, and you talk about kind of making yourself small. He always says things like, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Right. And all I can say is you're the luckiest freaking squirrel. Because... <laughs> You always seem to find the nut. Right. Um, but, you you know, you've got people like that that really love the military to the point that that's all they want to do is talk about it. And it's all they want to do is hear about it. Um, and it's a great reason for me to get him to buy a drink because that's kind of like, okay, I'll only talk about it if I'm drinking. So, you know. Right. But, no, I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> he's, he's a great guy. But going back to that, no one cares. It doesn't matter what I have on my wall. You know, someone's always going to question you. Someone's always going to badge beat. Someone's always going to say, are you sure? Um you know, not long ago, I had someone that I don't even know send me something on another soldier that was like, oh, this guy sent me this. Do you know this guy? You know, da, 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 da. And it's like, no, but so, I mean, I don't, I don't care. It's Facebook for God's sakes. Right. You know, leave me alone. One of the reasons I left, uh, one of many reasons I left Facebook, but um, yeah, it, the, life's a competition, man. And you either join the competition or you watch everybody else compete and hope that you fall into some void somewhere and so what was it that switched for you to go you know what i'm done trying to fit into the make the world happy box i know ultimately like no one cares that i had cerebral spinal fluid leak out of my ears for three weeks in pathfinder school right. what what is gonna make um, me happy and make that the priority well I, I think for me in all honesty um i i realized that i had my gold dragon by the throat which um told me that my goals were set way too low at that point. Um, I don't think you should ever be able to grab your gold dragon. You know, you should be holding right. onto his tail for dear life. Um, and I, I just didn't feel satisfied with anything I was doing. And I love my job. You know, I'm a consultant. I'm not a salesperson. And um, as a consultant, you're always learning something, always seeing something new. But I still felt like there was something more that I could do. And in all honesty, I miss the military. I miss the camaraderie i.e. how you and I know each other. Right. Um, uh, you know, you search these things out, whether they're good or bad, to to uh, to surround yourself with that camaraderie again, because on the outside, that, does, that doesn't exist for the most part. I know all these folks with, you know, um, uh, what are they called? The, the, bun, the man buns. 
yeah. sit around drinking coffee and they think that they have that brotherhood. You know, they call each other brother, which irks me, by the way, today. Right. And they 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 talk about how they're together and how they're the future. And, and I think to myself, you you got nothing, chief. We're you to know, blame for that, by the way, that brother thing. A hundred percent. We use 100%. it so much that people think they have permission. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I, I think people know, too, when they're like, hey, brother. And the, the look I cast them, it's the last time they say it to me. It's like um, when a waiter comes up, what's up, brother? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> slow your roll, chief. Slow your roll. You got to gotta give me some good service first. And so um, it sounds like you were doing some serious reflection on, you know, going back to your service and it, it's a, it's a strange thing when you figure out the thing that made you happy was being in austere environments, helping people who are injured. You know, that's, a, right. it's not a normal thing to go, Oh, I was happy doing that. But it sounds like you, you look back on your experience and go, Oh, that made me happy. Well, I think I look back on the one-on-one -on -one experience more than anything, you know, when it's, when, it, when it's, when everything relies on my shoulders, right. That's what makes me happy. Um, you know, as a consultant getting called in at two o'clock in the morning and you walk down the hallway and the nurse sees you and they're like, Oh my God, Kelly's here. And they're so happy you're there. Right. I enjoyed that. I really liked that part about it. Um, because all of a sudden everything's on your shoulders and the show is determined by you. You're now the ringleader of that show. And I always enjoyed being that. Um, and I think that in, as I looked around myself, I, I felt a little disappointed in myself because people around me accomplished so much. And I felt like I was in this rut. Um, my, my beautiful wife, she's a, a nurse, right? And she's, she's one of those nurses that when she has her name, it's like RN, BSN, blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, all the letters, you know, freaking right. And she would get on and she would take these classes and all of a sudden she'd have this new certification and it wasn't about the certification. It was how it broadened what she could do. It opened all these doors for. Her. Right. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, God dang, I'm closing more doors than I'm opening right now. So I actually got so put up with the medical field that I quit. I literally walked away from it one day. And this is after how many years in medicine? Years. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and said, I want to do powder coating. Right. I remember this. But you know what? As to my amazement, she said, okay, let's do it. Right. I mean, I mean, it was unbelievable to me. Leader. Hello. Um, and, uh, you know, let me, let me fail at my own rate. So, um, <laughs> we did, and we started a business that ended up becoming not huge, but, but profitable and very specific to very high end. For me, it was about the high end stuff. I didn't right. want to do all the, you know, all the thousand pieces I wanted to do show cars and I wanted to do show bikes and, right. and to have someone hold something in their hands and go, wow, that was just a little snippet of what I had before. And so I really enjoyed that. And then, um, you know, even that after a while just got to be where I hated dealing with customers. I hated dealing, you know what I mean? And I hated tire kickers. I hated it when someone said I'll be there in 15 and they never showed up. Right. I mean, it started to eat on me. And at this point I got introduced to a, a new medical product that was made from carbon fiber and it just hooked me. It was like, this makes sense. Something right. new. It's not, it's not just a, a gadget with a different something. It's totally new. And um, so with the carbon fiber, I started looking at new applications and new ways to do it. And all of a sudden I was, I was reignited and I was excited and I was back in the medical field. 
And this brought me into um, this external fixator system that one day uh, doctors ran said, hey, you need to take a look at this. And I walked over, popped and snapped it. And I'm like, that's it. And right when I heard that click noise, right. I knew this was the shit, right? This is the one. <laughs> right. And so I end up with the distributorship for that. I, I, I worked very closely with the people that are there. And I'm like, hey, this is amazing. You know, can we do this? Can we do that? And they worked with us in the beginning. And then, of course, it apexes out like this because everybody wants that quick return. And I knew this was long term. Right. And uh, so I started thinking about the military, the applications for this. How can we make this better? How can we put this in the hands of, uh, of a Delta or, or these new um, far forward surgeons that um, are applying this stuff in the field? You know, and just for people listening, because like I obviously know what we're talking about. Um, you and You've I put one on. We've we've drilled holes into cadavers together. Yes, we uh, have to demonstrate these things. But for people who don't understand what it is, give just like a, if you can paint a picture of what this thing is and what it does. Well, for just for example, um, you know, for the new type of injuries we're seeing out there, they're high impact injuries. They're no longer just bullet wounds. There's no longer shrapnel wounds. These are these high impact blow by type wounds from IEDs um, that are sometimes impacted by sand or air. It's just a right. very hard, blunt, large impact that creates a whole new impact zone on a bone. And so what that does is it causes collapse. It causes a lot of sharding. It causes um, a lot of vascular issues. So you've got these docs that are coming in, in the field now, we didn't we really used to have docs with us back in the day. Now they do um, that are stinting these patients, right? Or stinting these, these, um, these troops as are coming out of the field. And then they're, um, wrapping them or somehow trying to stabilize them with some right. type of wrap, whatever's available. Um, but the problem with that is that it occludes it and it also doesn't help with reducing shortening, right? So what we do is we take four pins, we put two pins above the fracture line, two pins below the fracture line, put a bar across it with clamps on each bar that attaches to the bar and pin. You pull this thing out to length and then you clamp it so it holds it out to length. Right. So you keep your stint to length, you keep your, your muscles from atrophying, you keep the bone out to length, you reduce the amount of pain on transfer. Um, in a lot of cases at this point, uh, your guy who's down can now transfer himself. Right. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize it in the field. Let's just say for a wrist fracture, right? Someone goes down for a wrist fracture. It's not just him that's down. It's now your medic that's down. And it's sure. now the guy who's carrying his gear that's down. It's a very painful fracture that's very <laughs> difficult to do anything. So you have four people oh wrong tube you have four people that um that are now down because of this one what would considered in the in the civilian world a nothing fracture right so we started looking at how can we help not only transport how can we help save these limbs these guys have a dependapotamus sitting at home right now you know wanting their wanting their man to come back or their woman in that case to come back whole as possible and that's that's basically what it comes down to. If we can if we can increase the vascularity, increase the stability, reduce the pain threshold, the chances are we're going to save that limb, you know, exorbitantly higher of a percentage than otherwise. And the truth is, like you're being conservative with those numbers when it comes to how many people are really taken out of the fight for that kind of injury. Because if you want to be right. real, you know, <clears throat> you've got the guy hurt, you've got Doc, you've got the guy who's got to get his gear, you've got RTO now is trying to call in Kazabak, you've got 
the PL or whoever the highest command there is trying to coordinate so right. five dudes for one fracture. Whereas, you know, that's, that's the big difference between what we call litter urgent and walking wounded. Correct. You know, walking wounded is like him and his buddy can pull a local security together. He's good. Like, right. It, and it's, and it, that's what we're trying to convert him to from one it, to the other. For people who don't get it, like not only does that lower the, the threat level for the team now, it also in a lot of ways increases drastically that individual survivability. Right. Uh, and, you know, it comes down to basic instinct with injury, too. I, I always tell people that don't they have a hard time grasping um, the severity of a femur fracture. I'm always like, you ever play basketball or baseball and jammed your middle finger? What's the very first thing you do besides scream like a little girl? Probably curse. You pull it out to length. Yeah. Right. You grab it and pull on it because it instantly reduces the pain. Now, apply that to your femur right. or to your tibia or your humerus or, or any other long bone fracture that you have. Yeah, it's going to suck putting the pins in, but there's no nerve base in the bone. So once the pins penetrate and everything's there, the, the fact that you're relieving that compression pain so much, all the other stuff pretty much goes away. And then we start handing you little orange pits. So um, it, it's, it's mentally for a soldier to have reduced pain and not be reliant on five other people. You can't account for that. You can't. And- the other thing, you know, once you get to that level three trauma center, it it's going to really help out a lot too, because like you talked about the stabilization being important, not just for the immediate, you know, relief of pain, but right. all that tearing that happens during transfer with a limb that's not stabilized properly. And the reality is, look, like I've put one of these bad boys on, it's quick, it's super quick and you can package them and ship them like, you know. Right. Much faster than normal. Whereas the other option is, you know, you're, you're using janky Sam splints and trying to make something that works and cravats and, you know, troop straps, whatever you got your hands on, like, and it's not, it's definitely not as stable. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. And also you have to think about altitude changes and swelling. Right. Um, with, with four pins, swelling doesn't matter. It transfers up the pin. It gets as big as it wants to get. Um, whereas when you put these on, you've got to have someone there that's relieving pressure, changing pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Now they have these high dollar throwaway air casts that are supposed to, um, kind of offset themselves with the outside internal pressure. Right. But I mean, they're not easy to apply. And if you've got someone with a bone sticking out, they're really not easy to apply. So the, the X fix really answers a lot of questions that nobody else had. And, and one of the other things that we had too, that when I held the XFIX that's currently being used in the market, um, even their packaging was not a thought process for the military. Right. Um, they put it in a tub. It's easy to get wet. It's easy to be crushed. For them, it's more about, okay, well, if you crush it, you have to buy a new one, right? Right. So it's not that big a deal for them. <laughs> so we started vacuum sealing. Um, we, we actually went out. I spent a good year going out talking to soldiers and listening to what they had to say you know, reaching out to these guys that were med team leaders and saying, Hey, if you had, would you do with, what would you add? What would you take away? Um, I'm going to use an old term. uh, I'm going to say rat screwing, but we know we're talking about the F here. Um, I I rat screwed everything. I mean, the moment I got it, (laughs) if I could take it apart, it came apart period. Right. I mean, we did it to our food. Oh, for our (laughs) MREs. Right. Um, So, we looked at a packaging that allowed for that, but still kept the part sterile that needed to be sterile. We actually thought outside the box. And that was my advantage 
of having dealt with these and been there and done that is that I, I, I kind of know when you lay things out in the field, how they're going to lay out. And um, I think one of the cool things about what you're talking about now, and it, it's another point that I kind of wanted to make was when you first started out kind of trying to market this system and, and find where it fits uh, for the military, you, your approach wasn't your, your particular approach, but the approach of the team was one that was not, well received and i think the important thing to draw out here is that you got to be just genuinely you right and that's what made it work in in the beginning i wasn't and we talked about that before i think that um you know to be a good leader or to be a good salesperson or a consultant or whatever you have to be amiable to your crowd Right. And um, I was kind of come in as a professional and I would have like the VP of sales for this company and I would have, you know, all these people there. And I was but trying this to is another example of you trying to put yourself in the box to make them. happy. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And I was not only in the box, but I was very taped up, you know, right. in the box. Um, and I, I tried to talk professional. I tried to be a salesman and tried to be, you know, and then finally, one day we were about to walk in with seventh group. We were down at Eggleston and um, I, I looked at the VP and I said, look, who's from Italy, by the way. And I said, look, uh, I'm going to need you just to bear with me, stand <laughs> in the corner. I'm going to need you to, to not interject. And what's awesome, um, dude, is like, if I'm in the room when you say that, I'm like, oh, hell, I know what's about to happen. But right. this poor guy from Italy is like, sure, you got it. <laughs> well, he was first thing he says is, what do you mean, Kelly? And I'm like, <laughs> what I mean is that. Hold my you're going to see a side of me that you've never seen. And I don't want you to hold that against me, but I want you to know this is who I really am. Right. So let's, let's for now, put this to the side. And I just want you to stand in the corner. And uh, I was there with um, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. Sorry about that. Orthopedic surgeon uh, that I work with a lot. who was also a ranger and um, he, I'm on call. So I apologize for oh, the you're good, you're good. being on ringer there. Um, who was a ranger and was Mogadishu, a great guy. He was there with me as well. And he just got this big grin on his face and he knew exactly what was he about knows. to happen. He knows. He knows. And so I just let loose. It's about to I be mean, real talk just, with Kelly. Right. And I told these guys, look, I'm not trying to sell you shit. The system's going to sell itself. All I'm trying to do is show you why this is cool and why you need it. Um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how to use it and I'm going to set you loose on this thing. And, and, you know, you knuckle draggers are going to make your own decisions, right? There's nothing I can do to change your mind, especially as some suit, not going to happen. And, uh, that was our first sale. So let and me ask when you've been trying to do it the box way and it's, right. it's kicking your asses, it's not working. You're not getting traction. You go in there and decide, damn it, I'm going to be just me. Right. And then it works. Like, how do you feel then? like a fuck up. Oh, shoot. I just said the F word. I'm so sorry. Like, a, like a screw up. So you can cut that one out and do that one. Um, I, I felt like I had failed the people that I was catering to. I literally got sick to my stomach when it was all said and done. I'm as excited. Right. At the same time, I'm like, okay, I've been with third group. I've been with first. I've been with all these other guys and seventh group. You see their eyes light up. You see these guys, participate you see these guys excited i did stupid stuff like um okay well you know what you think even if you don't like the the system here 
dip mine in olive oil, dip theirs in olive oil and said, okay, now apply it. Right. You know, little simple things that they grasp because in the field, everything's not clean and pretty. It's covered in body fluids. It's covered in blood. It's slippery. You're trying to do it with flight gloves on. You know, I mean, shit doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. And so I said, okay, let's, let's throw that environment in here. And of course you can see the, you know, the VP in the corner, just like, what are you doing? We didn't talk about this. Right. And I'm like, well, there's a reason we didn't talk about it. Cause I know you'd say no, you'd say no. So <laughs> I, I felt like getting on the immediately and calling every contact I had from every other group to include the Ranger guys. I've been talking to Ranger meds and be like, Hey, I screwed up. Let's start over. Right. You know, um, but see, there, so it's twofold though, man. Your- like you say you felt like a screw up. Sure. But then you come with that last part. You also were fired up because now you know what works and you is what right. works like this, right. this fake suit and tie nonsense. Like, not, and, and you know what? Some people are suit and tie and bless your heart. It's not these two guys talking right now though, um, right. but you got <laughs> to be you and it worked. And I think that's huge because, and that's one of the things that, you know, you, you know how I feel about this. Like if you don't get to get up and be you and what you're doing, man, you're doing the wrong damn thing. Right. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and that's where I feel like I'm at now. I feel like I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. Uh, we're designing 2.0 right now. Uh, we're, we're, we're taking all the questions that were from the system that we had and we're applying it. Um, we are going to make a system that everybody likes, that applies to everybody, that answers every question. Uh, huge challenges to that. But um, in, in part, that comes from this, what I felt like was a failure. Because again, going back, we talked about being a leader that you, you learn from your mistakes. Right. And at that moment, I realized what a mistake I had been making. And so I felt the need to go back and correct that mistake. Which, you I know? mean, you know, that's a credit to who you are, though, man. Well, I, it, and also, I, I'm, I just, I felt like I'd let these guys down because I didn't, I didn't give them the jest of, of what this was about and why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help these guys. I'm here to, to get these guys off the field. I'm not here to sell you a piece of plastic. Right. It, it's not what it comes down to. You know, there's a hundred, there's a hundred different pieces of plastic I could sell. Um, I have very few. We're, we're a distributorship that has only four or five products. They all apply to each other. I don't have random. A lot of these guys will have 50 different things. So in case they get asked for, they can say, Oh yeah, I have that. Right. That's, that's my, not my goal. I want to apply things that I believe in. I want to apply things that I think are going to work and things that are going to actually make the world better in the long run. Yeah. I mean, not just you know, another toy. Taco Bell has got a lot of menu options, but they all suck. There's, I, don't, I get the same two things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every time I get the same right. two things because they work for me. Right. Well, and they're really just the same as everything else, just in a different shell. Let's be honest. It's a hundred percent true. It's a hundred percent true. Um, and none of our stuff is. We're the only carbon fiber trauma implant company in the world. Um, we're the only true toolless X-Fix system in the world. We're the only, now, the only true military-derived X-Fix system in the world. Um, so, we're, you know, by being a first at something, you're, you're a leader in that ride as well. And so if you reflect on everything, man, reflect on from mousetraps and something bigger dragging away to that where you are now and, and making it work by being genuinely you, like, and then reflecting on all the stuff and giving yourself permission to do the powder coating thing and to leave the PA gig that you weren't loving and to look back on the experiences you had in the military and find what you did love. Like if you were, were to take all that info and, and go back to like Kelly as a child, what's the one thing you would say to him? 
I wouldn't say anything. I just would have hit him from with the bat from behind. He wouldn't have known I was coming. <laughs> just take yourself by surprise. Right. Um, uh, I probably would have stopped saying I'm sorry. That's the one thing I probably, if I could go back and change everything, that would be the one thing. I'd stop. I'm sorry. I'd never say that again because you shouldn't be. You took an action for a reason. You did it. Why are you sorry about it? Learn from it. Drive on. Move forward. Um, I would replace it with, I won't do that again. Right. Or what should I have done? Or, you know, something like that. If I had the knowledge I have now and I could go back, that's that's what I would do. I'd that, stop saying, I, I I'd love stop that. Apologizing. And I'm glad you explained it because some of you are like, what? But like yeah. what you're saying is, you know, sorry isn't taking ownership. Sorry is an excuse. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I love it. Sorry is, a, sorry is a diversion. That's all it is. Yeah. And I think uh, if I had to give right now, um, and I try to give this to my son, my sons, all of them, is that don't be afraid to step out of your current bubble and actually take a wide picture view of the bubble you were just standing in. Right. Because when you really step out and look at it, you may realize that bubble sucks. Right. And or you may realize that's where I want to be. And that's what happened to me with the powder coating. I, I went to such an extreme and I had all this time in the beginning. I didn't have time because I was learning something new as exciting. But then once I learned it and I had all this time to think about where I had just come from, I wasn't so bad. And here's how I could have made it better myself. Instead of just running away from it, if I had done this, this, and this, I could have improved that world right. to go in the direction I wanted to go. And, um, and it's, it's what I needed. It was literally two years of, um, just separating myself. I grew my beard out. I was, you know, <laughs> I, I showered as little as possible. Um, and like a, uh, a big, beautiful feral cat. I yeah, was exactly what I was. <laughs> and, um, and my wife tolerated it, which was amazing. I, and, you know, I think for every good leader, you've got to have a shoulder to stand on. There's no, there's no leader that stands on his own period. And I have to give big kudos to my wife, Rebecca. She really, stood by me when most people would have been like, suck it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Of you know, I'm out. Um, she dealt with, you know, my club life. She dealt with, um, you know, my change of venue, if you will. Right. Um, I, I, I literally did a 180, totally unexpected heels in that's it. And she took the ride with me. So that's huge. And I mean, you know, it, it definitely has been an invaluable experience because like you just said, like you talked to the kiddos about, um, one of which is doing a great, great things for his country already. Uh, yep. Like to step outside that bubble, like you gave yourself permission to go way outside your bubble, learn, experience, just, just do you for a little bit, you know, as right. to the far extreme as you possibly could, so that you could take all that information and come back and go, okay, now I know my far left limit. Now I know my far right limit my life is somewhere here in the middle and you figured out how to make that middle make you happy. And that's massive, dude. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, surround yourself with like-minded individuals. You know, I think that that's, and people that are motivated to move forward. That was yes. something, you know, a little bit like with you. I mean, I think that I noticed right away when we first met that you were not, you didn't really fit the mold of the people surrounding you. Right. Um, it seemed like to me that you wanted to move forward. And that's what drew me to you as a person is that, uh, you know, I like this guy. This guy's not settled. He's not, he's not sitting here spinning his wheels. He's actually moving in a direction one way or the other, no matter what it is. Um, I watched you go through several different job fields. I, you know, I tried to help with that. 
sadly it was at the wrong time for us, but um, I, I, I watched you just pre- every step you took was a step up. It was never really a step down. Right. Um, even a step back, you were still stepping up and um, you know, kudos to your listeners out there for you as well, man. I'm, I'm, I'm super proud of you and where you've, what you've created with this whole deal you got going on for sure. Well, brother, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you being on where can folks find more of the incredible Kelly Capehart if they're trying to, you know, cyber stalk you. Oh God. Um, I'm, I've gotten rid of everything, man. I, you know, I got tired of it. Um, as we talked about before I, the whole, between the politics, you, you made me laugh out loud when you said for all you waiting for me to make a comment about this politics, I'm too busy enjoying life to worry right. about that. hundred percent, man. Uh, Rebecca and I laughed about that for a half an hour. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. I'm at a point right now where, you know, if you know me, you like me, you love me, you know where to find me. Um, otherwise, I'm on mewe.com, which is a little fledgling, very difficult to get around. But, you know, I can still talk to my riding buddies, which is sure. basically the only reason I do it. Right. Um, and uh, otherwise, um, carbo-fix.com is the carbon fiber trauma orthopedic implant company that we have. And... Um, Advanced Orthopedic Solutions is the new company we've just developed for this new 2.0 X fix. So that's going to be, that's going to be the the next launching pad, my friend. I know. And, you know, talking to you about it and talking to Dr. Zoran about it, like I I haven't even put eyes on it, but I know where it was a few years ago. And I know the, the collective ninjas that you two are. And I know, I know he said it best. In fact, on the show, you guys are like apex predators when it comes to being tinkers. Oh, hundred percent. And so the two of you together is, is a dangerous combination when it comes to innovation. So I can't wait for it. I'm very excited for you guys. I, I should own stock in JB Weld. That's right. for sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that holds anything. Sure. Anything. Sure. But uh, I appreciate it, brother. And Hi, brother. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed talking to you. And, uh, you know, I send this out to as many people as I can. It's, it's a great program. Everybody loves it. So. Well, I appreciate you being on, brother. And it was awesome. Awesome. I'll talk to you soon. Thank All you. Right. Later. Bye, brother. Out. All right, folks. There you have it. Uh, like I said at the beginning, it, just an amazing human being, right? Um, He's one of those guys like that. That's why he's like my really for real friend, right? Because I could spend all day talking to that dude and just hanging out. So, you know. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I mean, we could have gone on for three hours easily. Um, and I've known this guy over a decade and I can still just spend all day talking to him, but just a killer human being and, uh, love everything he's doing, love everything he's about. Just that, that motivation that he's got to continue to innovate and continue to improve and make things better for other people is just always something that impresses me. And that's, that's been one of those things that, you know, from the day I met doc, it was like, man, this guy. He's, he's one of the most selfless individuals I know. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I uh, hope you took something away from it, and I will talk to you next time. Nice to be in orbit.